1: is from the book of Obadiah. It's addressed to the nation of Edom, which was a neighbor of Israel, Judah. And it uses different names, Edom, Esau, and Teman uh, to refer to Edom or to the people and places in the, in the country. Uh, so that's just for clarity. So let's listen to the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If great pickers came to you, Would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the borders. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, Will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, the men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations as you have done it will be done to you your deeds will return upon your own head just as you drank on my holy hill so all the nations will drink continually they will drink and drink and be as if they had never been but on mount zion will be deliverance it will be holy And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. The people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Zephyrad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
0: to God. Good evening. Uh, My name is David Day, and I worship here at St Nick's. Well, uh, this is a surprise. Obadiah is the subject for tonight. Uh, I've never actually heard a, a sermon on Obadiah, and I've never seen a lectionary which contained Obadiah. So this is going to be unusual. It feels like the day of small things because Obadiah is the smallest book in the Old Testament, only 21 verses, and he's the footnote prophet. There are 14 Obadiahs in the Old Testament, and our man isn't any one of them. And it's the tale of two countries, Eden and Judah, but neither of them are of any size worth bothering about. So basically, what we've got is Mr. Nobody writes half a paragraph about Nowheresville. Obadiah would be perfect if you were a mastermind and you needed a chosen subject. All we've got is 21 verses of his prophecy. But perhaps that's the best place to start. In fact, it's probably the only place to start. The background to the book is the utter destruction of Jerusalem by the mega power Babylon round about 587-586 BC. Uh, That's the context. But the book itself is actually a blistering attack on the little country of Edom. I hear you say, where? Where's Edom? Well, here's a bit of a map. You can see, I think, at the centre of the map, the Dead Sea, to the left, to the west, the left, is the Kingdom of Judah, and underneath Judah, at the bottom of the, Red, of the Dead Sea, is the Kingdom of Edom. And you can see that the two countries more or less rub shoulders on one another. They were also uh, brothers. They saw themselves as sort of brothers in the way that the UK and the USA enjoy a special relationship. Or Newcastle supporters are essentially brothers in arms with Sunderland supporters. Hmm. Anyway, let's start by listening to Eugene Peterson's translation of the first part of the book. First 15 verses or so. Hold tight the wrath of the Lord. Listen to this, Eden. You thought you were so great, perched high among the rocks, king of the mountains, thinking to yourself, nobody can get to me, nobody can touch me. Well, think again. Even if, like an eagle, you hang out on a high cliff face, even if you build your nest in the stars, I'll bring you down to earth. This is God's sure word. If thieves crept up on you, they'd rub you blind. Isn't that so? If they mugged you on the streets at night, they'd pick you clean. Isn't that so? So that's the way they're going to take you apart. Piece by piece, empty your purse, empty your pockets. All your old partners will drive you to the edge. Your old friends will lie to your face. Your old drinking buddies will stab you in the back. Your world will collapse. You won't know what's hit you. So don't be surprised, this is God's sure word, when your great heroes desert you, Edom. There'll be nobody left in the mountains. You'll lose your place in history. Wow, (laughs) what did you make of that? Such vitriolic language. How can this be in the Bible? It sounds as if he hates all Edomites and is delighted to proclaim their downfall and their destruction. And he keeps saying, this is God speaking. The wrath of God. It's a tricky phrase. Martin Luther called judgment God's strange work. Now, if we've got the idea of God as basically Father Christmas, then it is a very tricky phrase. The wrath of God. But um, I find something that Tom Wright wrote very helpful here. And he says... If God does not hate racial prejudice, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not wrathful at child abuse, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation the arrogance that allows people to exploit and bomb and bully and enslave one another, He is neither good, nor loving, nor wise. Judgment, in other words, is how God puts things right. It's the time of cleansing. Obadiah, in those 15 verses, is not being petulant, irritable or losing his temper. He is trying to be faithful to the character of God. Well, that's the first peg that I'm hooking things onto, And the second one is the fear of the Lord. At this point, you may be asking the same question as I am. What on earth had Edom done to be condemned in this way? I said earlier that Babylon had savaged Judah and sacked Jerusalem. And we've seen this on the television. Long lines of war victims trudging away from a city in ruins. Babylon had a reputation for savagery. Their army broke through the walls of Jerusalem, slaughtered many, and took the others away as slaves. In the siege, some had almost starved to death. Now they fled from the burning city, and the smoke could be seen for miles. The temple was destroyed, the king a prisoner, his eyes poked out. It was the end of the world. And Eden? Judah's next-door neighbour? Well, listen. This is Peterson's translation again. On that day you stood there and didn't do anything. Strangers took your brother's army into exile. Godless foreigners invaded and pillaged Jerusalem and you stood there and watched. You were as bad as they were. You shouldn't have gloated over your brother when he was down and out. You shouldn't have laughed and joked at Judah's sons when they were face down in the mud. You shouldn't have taken advantage of my people when their lives had fallen apart. You of all people should not have been amused by their troubles. You shouldn't have taken the shirt off their back when they were not flat, defenceless. The army of Edom waited at the crossroads. To hand over those who were fleeing for their lives to the Babylonian army. They found refugees and turned them over to a vicious, inhuman enemy. Strong stuff. But if we look at Psalm 137, you will see the scene painted again in words which pierce the heart. Psalm 137 By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Fine. And then suddenly it bursts out. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. These were our brothers, Lord. Don't let them get away with it. Obadiah proclaims that God is not untouched when people break his laws, especially when they affect the vulnerable and the helpless. God has written his laws on the heart. and God has a bias towards justice and a bias towards the poor, the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, the stranger, the refugee, the slave. Those of a different race. You see, the Bible assumes that people who don't have the Jewish law are still responsible for living by the law. There's a very revealing story about the tribe of Amalek. It's in Deuteronomy 25. Imagine the tribes under Joshua are advancing into Canaan. Here they are, there's a long line of them. And the generals of Amalek notice that the soldiers are at the front end of the line while the women the children the old the frail the disabled are all at the old end of the line at the rear so they deliberately attack the rear and they are condemned by this action because listen they had no fear of god You don't need a book, in other words, to tell you that some things are not right. Fear of God is what we might call moral awareness. It is expected of all human beings. It's part of what makes us human. Everyone is responsible before God and what he requires. And this the Bible calls the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. My third peg to hook things onto is the day of the Lord. One day, says Obadiah, God will wind up history, which is his story. Justice will be done. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, the Bible calls it, says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So the early Christians who believed found themselves trampled on, put into slave labour in the mines or into the arena. But the book of Revelation promises that this was not the last word. The Lamb will triumph and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and he shall come to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creed. So Obadiah predicts judgment someday on Edom because they have deliberately turned their faces away from what is right. Their arrogance, their pride, their lack of compassion, their deliberate hostility against the weak. These sins cry out for judgment. Somewhere around verse 15, Obadiah introduces the idea of the day of the Lord. Babylon has had her day, Eden has had her day, now God will have his." Uh, These words were spoken, I guess, soon after the sacking of Jerusalem and at this point Eden appears to have escaped untouched. But, says Obadiah, the day of the Lord will come. Uh, Some years ago I went to see the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And there I saw a jacket. It's a jacket that carried a terrible story. A Nazi guard in one of the death camps heard that a Jewish prisoner had been a tailor. And he ordered him, Make me a jacket. As a vicious twist, he told him to make it out of the pages of the Torah, the sacred book of the Jews. It was an act of calculated sadism, forcing the man to defile the holy book. But the prisoner believed that one day God would act in judgment to put things right. So he made the jacket. But he made it from the very pages in Deuteronomy 28, which list all the sins which God will punish. The guard didn't know Hebrew, so he walked around unknowingly wearing a long list of curses. And that prisoner lived in the conviction that the day of the Lord would come. The day of the Lord is a day when God acts against those who have ignored the laws that are written upon their hearts. The charity Open Doors has just produced this year's list of countries where it is most hard to be a Christian. It is a terrible record of evil and many of the countries are well known to us in the UK. We have, we have dealings with them. But one day, the day of the Lord will come. In the 1960s Martin Luther King came to prominence for his role in the civil rights movement in the USA and he never lost the belief that however badly the negroes were treated by the authorities they would overcome. He had this strong conviction that in the end those who march for freedom and justice will see God acting. He was imprisoned, black churches were bombed, in Birmingham, Alabama, the police set dogs onto school children. But in his speeches, Martin Luther King showed that he lived in the light of the day to come. Here's one speech, one little bit from a speech. Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ arose and split history into AD and BC, so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by Christ's name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. Did he live in the light of that? Yes, he did. Did he see the day? No, he didn't. He was shot, you remember. But years later, we have pointers to God's work within the world because in our time, we have seen the children of the slaves rise up. And I only have to say two names and you'll know what I'm talking about. Barack Obama, and Kamala Harris. Who would have guessed it? Names which point us towards the great day when justice will be done in the earth. Mighty Luther King's uh, vision, his dream, will come to life. And this is our hope. Obadiah saw this, but he saw it of course as through a mist He knew nothing of a God who would come in flesh. He knew nothing of a God who would weep over Jerusalem. He knew nothing of a God who would allow himself to be crucified. And he knew nothing of a God who would conquer death in the resurrection. But he ends his prophecy with a phrase that enshrines the Christian hope. The last words are, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. Nearer and nearer, says the old hymn, nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.